Welcome to this pop-up podcast series, Magic and Mayhem. Discover the secrets to creating magnificent books for kids and teens. I hope you've been enjoying it so far. Magic and Mayhem is a free podcast and ebook series brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses. If you're interested in writing for kids and teens, join us on a journey that's set to inspire and enhance your own writing skills. So download the episodes from this podcast, but also download your free Magic and Mayhem ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. It's full of some awesome insights from the authors that are featured in this series. You can download that ebook at magicandmayhem.com.au. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm founder of the Australian Writers' Centre. And this episode, we're talking to Carol Wilkinson. Carol is the internationally award-winning and best-selling author of the Dragon Keeper series, Carol has written more than 30 books for young people in both fiction and non-fiction. Her latest book is Atmospheric, The Burning Story of Climate Change. Now, what's interesting about Carol, as you'll hear in her chat with Alison from the Australian Writers' Centre, is that she didn't start her writing career until she was nearly 40, and she was in her mid-40s when her first book was published. Before that, she had been a lab technician. So if you think it's too late to start, think again. Let's have a listen to Carol. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, You say that you didn't even begin writing until you were nearly 40. What were you doing before that, and why did you suddenly sort of embark on a writing career? I was a laboratory technician Hmm. for, um, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Uh, And science was something I kind of fell into rather than chose. And, um, you know, they were always good jobs, so I stuck with it, interesting people. Uh, interesting work but I kind of knew it wasn't really what I should have been doing and so I um, when I uh, got pregnant with my daughter Lily I decided that that was the time to make a cut I'd never been to university so I I thought the best thing to do would be to do an arts degree and um, I you know when confronted with them on uh, you know uh, what what do you call it when the the day when you sign up for your course enrollment Enrollment, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on enrollment day, I was confronted with all the choices and I guess I had at the back of my mind that I wanted to have a go at uh, creative writing and that was what I chose. I chose a, actually chose a double degree of creative writing and Mandarin oh. learning to speak Chinese. Okay. Just a random thing. As you do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, from, from this point... It looks, looking back, it looks like a careful plan, but it wasn't. It does. I'm just thinking that. I'm thinking, okay, so now it all makes sense, right? No, no, it was just one of those things where, you know, the choices that you make, um, you know, eventually bring you to where you are, but not necessarily with, with any great thought behind it. Mm. Plan, not, not necessarily with any planning. Yeah. So how old were you when you went back to university then? How about when you went to university? Okay. All right, and so when did you that actually... Was the first time. That was the first time I'd been to university. Oh, there you go, okay. And when did you actually start writing your first manuscript? Um, straight away. Okay. Uh, well, I started writing um, short stories and I actually thought I was going to be a non-fiction writer, like a journalist that wrote non-fiction pieces for weekend magazines. I knew The thing I knew about myself at that stage is that I liked to research. Mm. Uh, and so I started... You know, when you do a course like that, you do all the, all the different streams. And so 
fiction was actually not one of my choices. It was I, d I was doing short story, but long form fiction was not one of my choices, and um, I just it was just an elective really. Okay, so yes. all right. So how did you then? Because your first novel, Stage Fright, was published in nineteen ninety six. Yeah. How did you come? You know, what was the process for that? How did you come to write that novel, and how did it come to be published? Well, I, at first start, I did two writing courses. I did my degree at Deakin, um, and then I went straight on to do the RMIT um, professional writing and editing. Uh, I think it was an associate diploma back then. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of eight years part-time study. Yeah, wow. And all the time I was trying out all different sorts of, uh, of, of types of writing. I did some script writing. I had a telemovie produced. I wrote all these newspaper articles. Uh, but I was surprised by how I was taken by fiction. I did quite well in my fiction class and um, it was not what I was expecting. So uh, I, um, I was very fortunate. I, I had a day job, which was my, my first job as, as a writer, where I wrote brochures and handbooks, educational handbooks for um, uh, an, an educational uh, institution mm. and um, even educational handbooks need a publisher and so I was working with the publisher for two or three years and it turned out that that publisher was uh, Andrew Kelly of Black Dog Books ah. just doing this sort of thing you know to pay the bills right. and so um, I was in a position when I found out that he was the kids author to, to say um, you know, uh, I'd like to, to do some writing. But that, that didn't happen straight away. Um, and I also met uh, Andrew's uh, partner, wife, Marianne Ballantyne, and she was at that time not working for, for Black Dog, but she was working for, um, oh, I can't remember which, one of the, one of the Heinemann, I think, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And she, I, I handed her one of my manuscripts, that you know, the manuscript that I'd written, which I thought was an adult. Uh, novel and she I, don't, I still to this day don't know if she actually read it from cover to cover but um, <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, she's, she's my publisher now and has been for you know many years um, and she uh, she said Carol I can't help you with this but I am doing uh, a series uh, of educational novels for, uh, for well novels for the educational market for uh, the, that are for teens if you can come up with something like that for, that will fit in with that, then maybe I can help you. So, you know, this will probably be on my list of, of, of tips. <laughs> Never say no to anything. <laughs> <laughs> yep, fair so, enough. So you say, yes, okay, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll have a think about that. In, in, you know, in the back of your head you're thinking, what? Teen novel never occurred to me. Um, but um, I, I, I came up with a, an idea. I wrote a synopsis, Marianne liked it, and so um, that that was my first novel, Stage Fright. And that Fright. was Stage Fright, was it? Yes, and which was actually in a, a pub published for the educational market, but it was a full-form full novel. Okay, and so where did the idea come from? Like you've never considered writing for teens, you've never considered writing for children at on any level. Um, yeah. Fiction is not necessarily your, your sort of like you were originally thinking yeah. non-fiction, blah, 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 yeah. and, and there you are, published in what would be now not YA, um, how, 
where where did you get the idea from? Like, how did you come up with a a, a synopsis and the whole thing? I stole it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> My doctor, Lily, Lily Wilkinson, who is on our, also an author. Oh, of course. Was, and an excellent author at that. Yes, absolutely. If, I think she was like 13 or 14 at the time. I had a teenage daughter. Uh, so I, she was very involved in theatre at, at school. You know, she had a theatre group, which was hilarious, really. The productions were hilarious. They wrote their own words and very diverse group of kids involved in it so yeah I just stole that, that scenario <laughs> I made right up the story there. of course in my own defense I made up the story but I stole the scenario from Lily and she's never really quite forgiven me for that <laughs> and she never will <laughs> okay um all right so let's let's move on then to Dragon Keeper which you know mm-hmm. is an internationally best-selling you know yep. series for children um yep. would you would you consider Dragon Keeper to be your breakout series Oh, absolutely. Okay. My best best selling book by yards, you know. Okay. So how did how, how did we get to Dragon Keeper? Like when when was that first published? Where did the idea come from? And you know, sort of how did you how did that come to be? Well, for me, ideas sort of percolate for quite a long time. And what I'd already written a story about a dragon for a screen a screenplay which which was actually produced and um is now available for download on my website. There um, you go, <laughs> <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, I wrote it. It was it was made in 1997, I think, uh, and um, it was about a dragon. But this was not my idea. Um, the, it, you know, the, it's actually my husband came up with the. Who's not a writer? He's a sound recordist. <laughs> mm. He he came up with the idea of a dragon story. Uh, for which he told Lily as a bedtime story, and um, uh, he'd always thought it would make a good movie, and he'd tried to write a script, but you know, to be honest, he's no writer, and so I, you know, I said, you know, give it to me, I'll, I'll have a go, and so I was introduced to dragons um, via him, and I, because of my research, you know, my penchant for research, I didn't want to just kind of make up my own fantasy dragon. I wanted it to be based in the dragons of myths uh, and legends. And so I started to do the research and, you know, I haven't really finished since. You're still researching. <laughs> Just goes, goes on and on. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so the, the Chinese dragons were the standout ones for me. They were There was such a lot of charming and arcane information about, um, about Chinese dragons in, in the myths and the legends and the, the writings, uh, of, uh, you know, the ancient writings that I came across that was just sort of crying out for stories to be told. And I had been to Ch- China. Um, we'd been, you know, on a, on a holiday in the 80s, you know, we knew no language and when hardly anybody went to China. Mm. And then as when I, when I was learning Mandarin, I went with college as well. So I went to China two years in a row. And so... Yeah, I just thought, uh, you know, I'm interested in China. I find Chinese history fascinating. I like dragons. It was kind of like just dovetailed. Okay. So that's where the world came from. But then as far as, you know, creating the, you know, fantastic Dragon Keeper, particularly that first book is is Mm. talked about by, you know, librarians and teachers, yep. like the whole world loves that book, yep. um, including yep. including my boys. So, oh, again, yeah, it's on the shelf, babe, don't worry. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering, um, you know, like 
it's one thing to have the world there, but the with obviously with children's novels, particularly the story is is everything. Where did the idea for the story come from? To be honest, I can't remember. I just had, you know, I'm going to have to do spoilers here, but I had the idea of um, an, a dragon egg. Um, you know, I, 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 it's talked. You know, the eggs are talked about in, in in the myths, and so that was sort of the first spark. And um, I wanted I wanted a, a female protagonist. And I wanted her to start with absolutely nothing. Mm. You know, I wanted her to have a really big arc. And I was kind of, you know, I've, I've read fantasy in my time and uh, I don't like those sort of stories where your hero is is ready-made with mm. all the skills, mm. you know, just waiting to be introduced to the world and they can just do everything. I wanted her to have to really struggle to, to find her skills and... Um, and to be able to utilise them. And I guess, you know, looking back, it was kind of like what I was doing as a writer. Mm. You know, no, no real self-belief, um, just not convinced that I could do this in a, in a proper way. How could I? I didn't have any credentials, you know. Um, so that sort of self-doubt and lack of confidence, I guess, went into Ping's character and... Um, you know, that, that sort of journey as you, you do as a writer to just sort of put all that sort of self-doubt aside and just do it and put it out there, uh, you know, with full knowledge that it could just all fall in a heap and mm. uh, and be, uh, you know, far from critically acclaimed, whatever the opposite of critically acclaimed. <laughs> I think it's ignored. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, people could say bad things about it. Yeah. Mm. Did you always know it would be six books? Like did you start out? Like, did you? I guess what I'm asking here is, did you plan the whole thing out in advance no. before you started? No, 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 no. Nothing like I wrote the first book, and I, I in a synopsis, I had material that, uh, too much material for one book. Mm. And so, when it came to the end, um, you know, with with my publisher's help, deciding when was the good time, good place to end it, I had a, a, a bit of story left over. <laughs> For the beginning of the, the next book, right? And you know, there's no way that that a, a publisher is going to commit to a series with a new writer. I, I should not, you know, certainly not a small publisher as Black Dog Books was. Um, but Black Dog had only just sort of gone out from being a, entirely an educational publisher into the trade. So um, you know. Mm. Um, the first book had to succeed before there was going to be another one, and I hadn't, even, I hadn't certainly hadn't thought that far. But then once I got into the second one, you know, a trilogy seemed obvious, and I did actually say at the end of Dragon Moon, the third one, or oh, that's it. Um, I, I was, I, I wanted, you know, poor old Pin, she'd had such a hard life. I could have <laughs> so much, you know, I wanted her yeah. to live a nice, quiet life. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, I had a lot of uh, emails and letters from readers who wanted me to continue to write but I, I said I wasn't going to it but after a couple of years I'd kind of missed missed the dragons really mm. and I'd, I'd said um, that they, they live for their lifespan is like 3,000 years so I realized at some stage that I could continue to write about the same dragon mm. but I could sort of leap forward in history yeah right with a different 
story. Yes, yeah. Yes, and a fresh set of human characters. Oh, fantastic. Mm. So now you're at number six and is this definitely it? I think so, yes. I think that um, I've got, you know, I'm getting on in years. And (laughs) (laughs) I've got other things I want to write. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. So with the series being sold internationally as it has been, have you had to make changes for different markets or have the books just gone in as, as written to each market they've gone to? Well, look, you never, who knows what, they, what they've what they said in the Japanese edition. Yes, yeah, so true, the, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but true. As far as, as far as I know, uh, there have been no major story changes. Right. Um, that, that Nobody, you know, the, the, the American edition, what, all they wanted to do was make Dragon Keeper two words instead of one word. Okay. Um, that was the only change they asked for. Uh, the French uh, edition changed Ping's name and changed the emperor's name. The emperor's a real person, you know, in history. Oh. Uh, and, and I was very angry about that. But, oh. And they shouldn't have done that. But no. They didn't Wh- Why did they do that? Oh, who knows? No, I think it was just um, a whim of the translator, to be honest. Oh. It was, they couldn't give me any reason. And Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, so as far as I know, no, it's – I think this is – the, the beauty of writing uh, historical novels is people – don't want to tamper it with it. it they, you know, you don't have to go through the mom and, you know, mum yeah, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. It's yep. all, everybody's happy to take it as, the, you know, the way it is in the past. We're all um, unfamiliar with the past, so um, we don't have to worry about whether we call them taps or faucets and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So as far as your writing process for fiction, like mm-hmm. is it, is it, um, is it similar for all books in that sense that you start with some kind of research and then go forward? I, I mean, are yeah. you a, a plotter? Are you a you know on any level, or do you just sort of write the story and wait yeah. to see what happens? I, I am. Um, what what do they call them? Uh, 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 there's a, uh, the pantser. The pantser. Yeah. And what's the other one called? The plotter. I plotter. Guess. Plotter versus plan. I'm kind of in between. I yeah. do like to have a vague sort of structure. Right. So I, I, I know, uh, uh, you know, roughly who my protagonist is. I have an idea of the journey that he or she is going to make and I pretty much always know what's going to happen at the end. Mm. I'm usually working towards a far distant but strong scene at the end. Um, but there is not a lot of detail there. And so as I write, which is what I've been doing today, you're sort of feeling your way from one plot point to another in, in the dark sort of thing. And mm. a lot of a lot of the best, for me, that a lot of my best ideas, there's those sort of little, um, uh, you know, not the full story ideas, but the little ideas that make it a, a, a bit different, a bit special, come during, that, during the writing process. Mm. I've, I've tried. I've tried doing the full plot on cards. Does, it, it just changes as I'm writing, so it's a waste of time. <laughs> I understand. I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly the same way. So what about your writing process for non-fiction then? So how many non-fiction books have you written now? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, Heaps. Well, half a dozen, six, seven. Okay. Oh. Do you approach those in a different, like in a, a very different way to the way that you would go about, you know, writing a novel? No, not really. Um, it's, I'm still looking for the story. 
um, there still has to be like a strong story to be told rather than just a stream of facts. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that, that's with a, with a nonfiction for kids, it's not like for adults where you have to tell every version, every, every opinion, everybody's, you know, different views on everything. You can just kind of pick, you know, the best version of history in mm. a way, mm. you know, the strongest, the, the most uh, accepted uh, and the most interesting, to be honest. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm still looking for the story and, you know, obviously you've got to stick to the facts. But a lot of the, fi- a lot of the non-fiction I've done is in the drum series for Black Dog mm. where at the beginning of each chapter there's a bit of fiction. You know, you kind of put your reader in the time and the place. Yep. So that, that, you know, I just think it's really hard for kids to imagine the past. I don't know. I, I can remember, I've always been interested in history as a child. Uh, but it was a jumble, you know, a jumble yeah. of, 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 of mismatched things and historically incorrect things and confusion about when, you know, I remember watching lots of those cowboy shows on TV, which there, of which there were a million when I was a child. Mm. And I, had, I thought it was the distant past and um, it wasn't until I saw a, like a Model T Ford or something in one that I realised it wasn't that distant at all. <laughs> um, and so... Yeah, you've got you've got your young readers have got to be sort of led by the hand to to try and um, remove opportunities for, for for confusion as much as possible. But so, I'm still telling a story. So let's talk about atmospheric then, which was obviously mm. um, you know won the uh, Wilderness Society's book, uh, award last year, and mm. also was a notable book for the Children's Book Council Book of the Year. So yeah. obviously, you know, as far as nonfiction goes doing very nicely for itself were you surprised by the success of that book um oh well I I figured it was topical yeah but but this is one book that I didn't write with you know what 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 can I write that people will want to read Uh, this is more like what can I write that people must read right okay um you know I I belong to a climate action group Mm mm-hmm and I felt like this is something that I could do. I wanted it to be a book where whoever read it of any age would come out at the end and say, okay, now I understand it, now I have no doubts. Okay. Uh, and so that was really my motivation. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, it's, 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 I, I'm glad that people are reading it. I mean, it's not the kind of book that kids ask for for their birthday or anything. but. No. <laughs> What age group is it actually written for? Well, it's it's kind of up a bit. It's more like a, 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 a for for lower high school, mm-hmm. I guess, lower to middle high school. That anybody can read it. I've had a lot of ideal uh, of, of adults read it, saying, "Right now, you know, I've got it now." Yeah. And my idea was that not only would it be for students to read, but for uh, it might be challenging for uh, kids in primary school. But if the if the teacher read it then he or she would have all the information that, and then be able to sort of, you know, um, present it in a way that they thought was uh, understandable and effective for their own students. So when you're writing a story like that, because, you know, it is a story that um, mm-hmm. has, you know, a lot of emotion attached yeah. to it, as well as the potential for real anxiety in kids in that mm. sense of, you know, there's a lot of doom and 
gloom and yes. horror around it, yeah. climate yeah. change. So how do you approach a story like that? Is it just a, you know, just the facts, ma'am, kind of a, 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 a sort of a approach or how do you, well, how, how did you approach it? I thought it was going to be quite a small book that would just sort of list, list the facts and this is the situation where we're at now and this is what you can do about it. But the more I got into it with, with all the confusion and the unknowns that people had about it, I realised I kept going back and back and back. And so it, it ended up being a story that spanned millions of years because mm. I had to talk about how coal's formed and, you know, how it's not going to be formed again any time soon. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It just it just got bigger and bigger as I was going um, and I just went with it. Mm. Okay. Have I answered? I forgot what your question was now. Just, just you know, like when there's in the sense that it has that potential for you know, anxiety and things oh, like that. Right. Do you yes. have that in your back of your mind or are yes. you just yes. sort of... I did. I most definitely did. And um, I wanted certainly to present all of those facts. facts. So it's quite clear that it wasn't their fault. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that everybody be, behind them, everybody that's come before them uh, has, has a role to play in the blame for it, but they mm. don't. Mm. They don't. However... They have to. They have to be the ones that act. And I. So I, at the end, I certainly do all the things you can do around your house. But I also encourage them to act politically. Really, mm. um, that they, they have a voice. You know, thirteen, fourteen-year-olds are going to be able to vote in a few years. Not mm. many years. You know, yeah. you have that power. And um, uh, so, yeah, I, I sort of also went down that track. Terrific. All right, so you've now written more than 30 books as well as short stories, a telly movie, mm-hmm. some other scripts. Um, yep. You've been very busy since you started, since you yes. embarked on your writing career. So yes. you're clearly not short on ideas. Um, how do you manage them? Because I know that with a lot of sort of writers who are starting out, you know, every new idea looks shinier than the one you're currently working on. Um, so, you know, what do you do to kind of keep all those ideas in order and decide what you're going to do next and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah. Well, I kind of put them in the bank, you know. Uh, I've, I've got a file of, of ideas, um, you know, things that I might have started to work on and put aside, um, and they're all there to, you know, to, to, to go back to. Um, and so far, um, you know, I haven't, as I say, I haven't run out of ideas, but you, you never know. The, the book I'm writing at the moment is, is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, um, a very long time. Uh, so, in some ways, yes, they are shiny and new, but they also all need a lot of work, right? To, to work up into a story. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're already in the process of one, to me, that's the shiny one <laughs> because you, yeah. you're doing you're, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've made some progress. You know, like I've got, I've written. 20,000 words of the book that I'm writing now. Now, many of, many of those words are going to change, but uh, I feel like, okay, it's coming together. All right. So are you much involved in the marketing of your work? Do you do a lot of sort of social media or any of that sort of, um, that sort of stuff? I, I wouldn't say a lot. I mean, I do post on, uh, you, you know, Instagram is my favourite. Okay, cool. It's nice to be have a picture. Too. Are you are you just Carol Wilkinson on Instagram? Yeah, it's it's what is it? Can't remember exactly what it is. Okay, um, I'd have to look it up, but it's pretty easy to find. It's yeah. Carol Wilkinson something. Yeah, 
something. Um, <laughs> yes. Maybe my birth. No, it's Ka- on Instagram. I'm Carol Ann Wilkinson. That's right. There you go. All right. So Just in case anyone wants to look you up, yeah. Carol Ann Wilkinson Carol, on Instagram. Carol with an E and without an E. That, yes, that's, there's and, a trap for young uh, players. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I post things. I try and cut, sort of keep a balance with personal things that I'm interested in that I think other people might be interested in. Um, pictures of my grandson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I don't like to be one of those people that just only ever post about, you know, here's my new book, yep. here's where I'll be, you yep. know. I think that's a great approach. I, I want people to, you know, who take the trouble to follow me to get to know me a bit as a person as well as an author. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I post on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook reluctantly. I really don't like Facebook. Right, okay. So Instagram's clearly where you are at your most yeah, comfortable yeah. and probably the best place for us to look for you. Yeah. All right, you also have a very, a really good clear author website, which is very easy to navigate and gives you all the information you could possibly require. Is that something that's developed over time or is that a relatively new thing or how do, you know how long oh, have no, you sort I've, of been there? I, no, I've had a website for a long time. I can't remember when, I, when it started, but a long time. And um, this current uh, website was... Um, was was designed by Chris Miles, um, who is also an author. Yep. And uh, he has just recently, after being my webmaster for many years, said, really, Carol, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so um, he has given me some lessons and I've now taken it over myself. Ah. It's, it's quite empowering, actually. <laughs> it is empowering to be able to do it yourself, up, update whenever you want. Yes, and, and you can, you know, one of the things I always say is I do try and keep it absolutely up to date. Yes. Uh, and, you know, there are links for teachers there to teachers' notes and, you know, if you can find them. It's, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I now have, um, I've managed to get the, the audio rights for Dragon Keeper and Black Snake, the book on Ned Kelly, which are the two, my two best-selling books. Mm. And so um, they're up online that, they can be downloaded for a price, I might mm. add. But mm. um, I find that I'm getting increasingly getting requests from schools for audio books uh, because uh, they're finding that this helps uh, kids with, with um, uh, you know, reading problems with, with learning difficulties. Fantastic. So it, it was a hard job, let me tell you, to get the, the rights and to, to um, you know, they'd already been recorded by a company that was no longer using them. So to get the... Oh, so you had to get them back, basically. Yes, yes. Ah. So that took me about two years. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, but, that's but they, yeah. worth doing, though, obviously. Yes, yes. All right, so if you want to have a look at any of those things, you could uh, you could visit carolwilkinson.com.au. That's C-A-R-O-L-E, wilkinson.com.au. So go and check out Carol's website and her audiobooks and all of the other goodies that she has there um so just to finish up today carol let's have a little discussion about your three top tips for writers okay what have you got for us i've only written two down so far what number one is use scrivener ah it is is not an expensive um writing application to use and it is very good you can have all your research and your links and your timelines and everything at, at your fingertips on the one screen and, you know, I was forever sort of searching back through, you know, going through Word, for Word documents, looking for the timeline, looking for, you know, whatever, mm. um, uh, finding the web page where I got that piece of information. Um, it's, it's, it has some very useful features, not 
not the least is the lovely um, targets little thing that you yeah. can so you can set your targets, what you want to do for the for the whole book, what you want to uh, achieve each day, and you see this little line sort of squeaking along quietly until it hits you. You know, I've got it at a thousand words. I haven't quite made a thousand words today. I think it's sort of like something like seven hundred and eighty-five. So once I get to that stage, I'm fine. <laughs> um, I love that feature. Uh, I also use the comments feature on it. You can just sort of write a comment, and it, they come up in a sidebar. I use that as a reminder for everything that I think, you know, as I'm going, oh, I should, must, must go back and fix that, you know, ah. just come up with something new, must, go, must look up this, um, you know, could, would it be better if she did this, that or the other. Use, and for atmospheric, uh, when every, I felt like every sentence that I wrote had to be referenced, I put all the references ah. in there. Uh, otherwise I would have gone insane try, <laughs> trying to remember where everything came from. So I love Scrivener, um, and I, th- I think it is it does order my thoughts, which are a bit um, you know scattered at times. Fair enough. Um, my second uh, would be, and look, I'm sure most uh, most people who have written um, even a little bit know this already is learn to love editing. Yeah, you've just got to. You've got to know that these are never going that what you've just written down is never going to make it into the book as is that it needs work it needs honing it needs possibly deleting you know yeah got to love that that process because you know it gets better (laughs) you know what's not to love it's 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 um yes it will make it better and your um, third one is don't say no, I believe. That's right, that's right. <laughs> yes. um, I have tried many different things and I would never have come to writing uh, children's fiction if I had not said, yes, I will do um, fiction as, a, as, as an elective. Yes, I will write a teen novel, even though it's never occurred to me in my life. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I also said yes to a lot of other things. I wrote for a couple of TV series, kids' TV series, which did not work out for me, which was a disaster, but it was good mm. to know about that. Yes, good to know so, it was a disaster. you know, rather than sort of sitting, waiting for something to happen, you've got to make stuff happen. And mm. anything you write, even my brochures and, and educational handbooks that I wrote, everything taught me something about writing or publishing. Mm. Uh, and uh, you, you meet people. This is how I met my publisher, yes. who doing other things. So, I mean, you don't want to be distracted from if, if you know if you are writing a novel and you have you have got um, uh, you know it has been commissioned or you think you've got you've got somebody that's interested in it. You don't want to be distracted. But on the other hand, you you really need to leave yourself open because you just don't always know you know what it is you should be writing. All right. Well, thank you very much for that great advice. Thank you very much for saying yes to talking to us today. And um, we, um, we we wish you all the best with the sixth book in the Dragon Keeper series. And you. if you want to read more about Carol's work, visit carolwilkinson.com.au. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm the internationally published best-selling author of two epic adventure series for kids aged nine plus. There are four books in the Mapmaker Chronicles series, Race to the End of the World, 
Prisoner of the Black Hawk, Breath of the Dragon, and Beyond the Edge of the Map, and two in my latest series, The Adaban Cipher, The Book of Secrets, and The Book of Answers. Find out more about me and my books at alisontait.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T dot com. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Carol. She talks about our old friend Scrivener, and I couldn't agree with you more, Carol. It's definitely a really useful writing tool, particularly if you're working on a long manuscript or multiple viewpoints or timelines and things like that. It's not as useful for shorter projects like writing articles, but for longer ones, I think it's fantastic. If you've been curious about Scrivener, we have an excellent online course that you can do at your own pace, and it breaks down the valuable features of Scrivener. It's called Two Hours to Scrivener Power, and it's presented by best-selling author and Scrivener addict, Natasha Lester. It's a wonderful user-friendly course to help you make the most of this really powerful program. I really do love it, and I do use it, and I think it's great. Go to writercenter.com.au slash power and grab it today. That's writercenter.com.au slash power. Now, another thing that Carol brought up, in fact, she mentions it twice, is don't say no. Every writing opportunity is exactly that, an opportunity. It may lead to a better project or a contact with a publisher. If nothing else, you might learn something. By taking on those educational brochures, Carol wound up learning more about writing and publishing, and that helped her later on in her career. As Carol said, rather than sitting, waiting for something to happen, you've got to make stuff happen. So on that, I hope you go off and make stuff happen. If you'd like some help and support while you're making stuff happen, find your writing tribe. You might find it at writercentre.com.au. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au. 